Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week, Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. I am actually incredibly excited today to have my good friend, Dr. Roger Janka here with us. Roger, thanks so much for joining me. Nathan, what a pleasure always. Let's jump in and we can go wide or we can go deep or we can go both. <laughs> well, uh, for people who don't know, um, Dr. Roger is a, uh, you've, you have been a traditional Chinese medicine doctor for over 30 years now, I believe, right? Um, 45 years I read of Qigong and Tai Chi practice. I know you're a Kung Fu practitioner as well. Um, we were just talking offline that actually you may have the very first video ever recorded and put online of a Qigong practice, which is uh, really fascinating. Um, I mean, you've been around, I mean, a pioneer in the field of helping bring this ancient healing modality, multiple ancient healing modalities, Qigong and Tai Chi, uh, as well as Kung Fu here to the West uh, with the main focus on, on Tai Chi and Qigong working with patients. I mean, you're a big part of multiple organizations. The uh, You're on the board chairperson of the board of the National Qigong Association. I know you have studied and trained dozens, if not hundreds of different types of Qigongs from different masters. Many would call you a master teacher at this point. Um, and your book, The Healer Within, uh, has been a big success. I know you have a DVD that accompanies that as well. Um, but anyway, uh, you're also involved in Healing Life, which is a project that is about helping bring these ancient healing methods to millions of people around the world and make them make this teaching and this practice accessible because it's so powerful and can change so many people's lives for the better. So you are actually one of the core faculty members of Healing Life and very grateful for you to be you know, yeah. in the very early foundations of, of this company. So anyway, Roger, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to uh, have a conversation with you here. Yeah, what a pleasure. And I want to just make one correction. I was the chairperson and I'm one of the founders of the National Qigong Association. Um, but there have been a number of chairpersons since me and I'm not the chairperson now. I am the treasurer, however. <laughs> That's what I read. Recent chairperson. I left that I left that out of the bio, my bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, and let me just say that I am thrilled with the um, advances that have been made in the realm of health maximization information and I'll just say this and hope that it doesn't isn't a problem that this body of information is not being revealed by the 
usual people that people that people seek out as their healthcare providers and I wouldn't even say healthcare providers by the way I would say medical intervention providers right and the fact that the internet is now rich with um, uh, opportunities for people to to dig in if, if when I go to my favorite sources of widening my own information base and click here, click there. Uh, I'm finding information that's super accessible and that people can anybody can understand right away. I'm finding a, another layer of it that goes into some of the detail on on. So from accessible to a little bit more knowledge to the point where the knowledge is almost over our heads to the point where it's scientists who are talking to each other in terms that I could never understand. And um, so for the people who are listening, probably on the Internet, uh, I just want to put out right up front how incredibly powerful humans are inherently and how incredible it is that you, Nathan and others are participating in <clears throat> surfacing this information in ways that are accessible to people yeah. so that they can learn enough to go deeper. And uh, it's just it's it's probably one of the most important things that's happening in the history of human in, of the human race right now, which is kind of liberating ourselves from the I don't know. What is that when you see a drug ad on television and it's a party at the beach and there's cute little puppies running around while they say all the things that might be damaging about this medicine that they're selling. It's it's that's embarrassing. And what we're involved in is inspiring. Yeah, that's embarrassing. That's insanity is what it is. Yeah, it's a yeah, happy, loving person or like and you may experience rectal bleeding and your liver may fall out of your eyeball and your brains may explode and you're and you're like, Oh yeah, I want this drug. That sounds great, you know? And death. It's like what? And and you're trying to and, and it's like it's like for a little rash or something. You have like a allergy or a rash and there and like the result of the drug could be death, you know, and you're like, Yeah, I'm gonna choose death over my rash. No, but there are serious chronic conditions that people are experiencing that are very painful and challenging. And yeah, the Western medical model, as we know, is not equipped and fit to take care of chronic health conditions. They're great. As you know, you've talked about, I've talked about many times that our Western medical model is fantastic for treating acute trauma situations. You get in a car wreck, you have serious brain damage, your arm gets cut off, you need a, an organ replacement or you're going to die immediately kind of thing. Hey, take me to a Western medical doctor right away, right? But you have cancer, you have liver disease, you have diabetes, you have autoimmune disease, you have heart disease, you have depression, anxiety, you have any number of mental, emotional, physical health conditions our doctors, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just not trained in medical school to take care of these conditions. They treat the symptoms with drugs and pharmacology and radiation and surgery. They have no idea how to treat the root cause. But what you do as a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, as a Qigong 
teacher and master teacher and Tai Chi teacher and practitioner. And, and what I do as well through all the work that I, I do on education and coaching is look at the root cause. What caused this? Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show. And what can we do to address that cause so the body, we can put the body into an equanimous state of self-healing because the body wants to heal, right? This, if we want to look at the spirit, the spirit is allowing the body, this is how I look at it anyway, is allowing the body to be animated. And the spirit, when in harmony with the body and removing the blocks and the toxins and the traumas and the damage and the blocked energy, and I'd love for you to talk about that from the Qigong perspective, the blocked energy allow it to free flow, flow freely so the spirit and the body can communicate. Then the body heals itself. You get a cut. You don't have to do anything. The body heals itself, right? But if you have a weak immune system and right. you're, you're stressed and your body's not, you know, in a good repair mode, that cut will may get infected and fester and then you got to get your whole arm cut off. The average person whose immune system is even average, you get a cut, band-aid for a couple of days, your body heals itself. Well, that's true for chronic diseases as well if we put it in the right environment. And that's what I love about Qigong is it's focusing at root cause, it's focusing at the energy level, it's focusing at, hey, how, you know, look at the, look at the body as, 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 en as an energetic being, and then how do we allow and, and uh, facilitate the body to heal itself through opening these energy channels? So yes. I'd love for you to talk about that. Like, you know, for those who don't know, the deeper underlying essence of what Qigong is, how it works, why you're such a big proponent of it. Um, let's go deep in that in that topic. Sure. So uh, I'll, I'll just give a tiny little bit of history that um, when I was a kid, for reasons that I won't take the time to describe, I wanted to become a doctor. I went to pre-medical school. Uh, I found it distressing for reasons that I won't take the time to describe. It was around 1965 and it was pretty easy for a lot of people to be distressed. War in Vietnam, uh, the medical industrial complex was already a problem. And so I dropped out of medical school and eventually through an, another set of absolutely fascinating circumstances, I ended up living in Hawaii uh, and I won't describe the details that got me there, but the was that, were you, were you taking acid back then? Was it acid that got you to Hawaii? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was that it turned out that I wasn't suited to be married to my high school sweetheart. Ah, uh, okay. That, that's the other, that's the other thing I was going to ask, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, you know, a, that's a very heavy trip. If, you know, having the realizations that one has when one's, relationship with, with, with one's wife who has 
uh, given you two sons. Anyway, we won't go there. But in Hawaii, I, I, I wanted to do something meaningful. And so I started looking into Chinese medicine. I had already been doing so uh, before I got to Hawaii. And within a very short driving distance, there's a school of Chinese medicine. And so I enrolled there and that's a big long story and it's filled with amazing little details. Um, but the point that I'm getting at is that when I studied uh, conventional medicine, the people who I saw, who I was seeking out as a mentor, I was asking, is there anybody here who's an expert in preventing disease? That was why I got into medicine. And the answer was no, we're doctors. We don't do that. We, we diagnose and treat diseases. And when I was exposed to Chinese medicine, what I learned right away is that um, the whole concept of Chinese medicine is based on prevention. So then let's talk about, we can talk about preventing diseases but we could also talk about preventing the behaviors in our life that cause the diseases. And we'll probably talk about both of those, but for the, for the, for the beginning part, let's just go to uh, <clears throat> what is the big concept in Chinese medicine? And the concept is to maximize functional capacity so that when a person and by the way, you know, people are wondering, well, that's the chi thing and what is the chi and so forth. And I'll just say right now to keep it very simple that in keeping it very simple, we can say that in humans, chi is function. And so then we can say chi of the liver, chi of the heart, chi of the brain. We can also say chi of the emotional self. We can also say chi of the intellectual self. And, and so let's just go with chi as function for right now. So then Chinese medicine, which is made up of, of uh, herbal medicine, physical therapy type medicine, acupuncture type medicine, and, and a few other things, but those are the main ones. Uh, <clears throat> everything in those three things, acupuncture, herbs, and um, manual manipulation or massage or whatever you want to call it, uh, every gesture is not focused on a disease. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life. At healinglife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors and survivors, exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at healinglife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, 
anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net, and I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. Everything, nothing in Chinese medicine is focused on a disease. You can find literature in the science that suggests that acupuncture is useful for for uh, heart disease or preventing or uh, uh, changing, recovering well-being in, in diabetes or Parkinson's disease or depression or whatever. You can hear the diagnostic words. But when Chinese medicine is done as Chinese medicine was invented to do, it's never about a disease. It's always about harmonizing and activating functional capacity and harmonizing and activating functional capacity is basically harmonizing and activating the chi. And so now let's look at, at uh, qigong. Qigong is another part of Chinese medicine. It's not a therapeutic intervention that you get from a, 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 a healthcare provider or a medical provider. Qigong is a practice that you get from a teacher. And, um, and then eventually the idea is that you learn enough from a teacher that you can actually put stuff together for yourself so that you have tailored Qigong to your own personal circumstances, which are always going to be changing uh, depending on the season or where you are in the progress of any diagnosis that you think you might have or just preventing disease and be enhancing the level of, of, of vitality and, and functional capacity. And so very briefly, Qigong is made up of four parts, body practice, breath practice, mind focusing practice, and self-applied massage practice. So now let's go back to the, or the foundational idea of Chinese medicine or Chinese culture, really, which is to would say, you fit? Would you fit sound healing in body practice, or would you consider that a fifth component? Because I know some well, Qigong you, I practice includes sound vibration. Sure, sure, or sure, sure, sure. So, okay, so let's just go back to that and and focus on it for a moment. When I said that Chinese medicine had three parts, I meant that it had three clinical parts that you get from a, a medical provider. When I said, when I added Qigong or Tai Chi and Qigong and meditation, that's a fourth part. And then there are many other parts. There's uh, diet and nutrition. There's the concept of drinking tea. Sometimes it's medicinal tea, uh, herbal tea. Sometimes it's, you know, Chinese, uh, uh, all the tea in the world, the British tea, Irish tea, Chinese tea, Indian tea, they're all from the same tea bush. By the way, let's do some hydration. So hydration is another part of it. Cheers. Our relationships. This is mate, by the way, yerba mate. What kind of tea you got? I'm drinking um, Golden Dragon with... 
So green some tea. Some some additions. Golden Dragon is a uh, is a black tea, and then there's dandelion root and burdock root in there, and then there's some rooibos in there. So nice. I'm you know as nice. a doctor I'm a good I'm for... a concoctor if you want to call it <laughs> a wizard a wizard of herbs. <laughs> that so, good for the liver. That's a good liver uh, liver immune yeah, system right there. Exactly, and we can call that alchemy, right? Because kitchen alchemy is cooking and that's another aspect of chinese medicine is modifying your diet and so forth so when you bring in sound we want to be sure to i mean it for to, to most people it doesn't matter but for the sake of the conversation today qigong uh, chinese medicine has three primary clinical applications there are others we won't waste the time talking about them acupuncture body therapy like physical therapy and herbal medicine based on uh, diagnostic circumstances then there's another part of chinese medicine which is qigong and the four parts of qigong that we just described and then there are all these other parts hydration tea diet relationships exposure to nature things like having a personal philosophy is a foundational in Chinese medicine. And one of the things that is the reason why I stopped having a clinical practice is I got so tired of people coming to me and treating me like a regular doctor because what they weren't willing to do was investigate having a personal philosophy that they develop on their own. The only philosophy they had was the philosophy that they got from somebody else. And it, it included, for reasons that I can never understand, um, not paying attention to how to take care of myself. Like, please don't tell me how to take care of myself. Just fix my problem. Mm. And I got so tired of that. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I want to take a quick second and let you know about something really special I recently updated. I think uh, you might benefit greatly from something I think you might enjoy and want to take a look at. And it is my book called The Panacea Cleanse. It's a powerful 12-day plant-based detoxification and healing guide. It's already hit number one in four categories on Amazon. There's thousands of people that have done this cleanse, and I've read so many testimonials from it. Let me read you one really quick. Aaron said, I did the Panacea cleanse and followed your instructions closely. I had amazing results. I stayed healthy while everyone around me, my kids and family, were getting very ill from a virus. I also lost some weight, and my menstrual cycles are much less painful. I also don't have bad headaches anymore. Thanks for the information you put out. She's just one of thousands who have gained Tremendous benefit from this cleanse. If you want to improve the quality of your life and your health, clean out your organs, clean out your digestive tract, help lose weight and burn fat, and basically give you more energy, help you feel alive, go check out the Panacea Cleanse, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, -A -A, the Panacea Cleanse on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks or something like that. And you can follow it day by day. It's got a recipe list. It's got a shopping list. It's got everything you need in there to follow this powerful cleanse. It took me about two years to create it. My wife and I have done it multiple times. It's been amazing in our own lives, and I'm happy to share it 
with you. So uh, go check it out. If you're interested, the Panacea Cleanse, it's on Amazon. Thanks, and let's get back to the show. Originally, as a doctor of Chinese medicine, I was excited, thrilled. It's like detective work. It's profound. People are very thankful. But eventually, I started realizing that the, a large percentage of the people who are my, my uh, patients or clients were people who didn't have any docking sites in their being for being educated. And I, I just, it, it's first it just kind of was distressing and, and eventually it actually, I was getting angry about it. And so mm. I just, there's a longer story there too, but let's go back to sound. Sound is part of Yang Sheng. Yang Sheng is the wellness system of the Chinese world. Yang Sheng translates as nourishing life, nourishing life. So healing life is pretty close to nourishing life. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that you're building out a Yang Sheng program. If you were in India, you would call it Ayurveda because in Ayurvedic medicine, they don't use uh, needle uh, acupuncture and they use massage some, but there's a lot of self massage. So all uh, Indian medicine is called Ayurvedic medicine. In Chinese medicine, the, th the, the three parts that you separate out as therapeutic features that you get from a, from a professional practitioner. And then the rest is Yang Sheng, including vibrations and sound and by the way, including uh, sexuality and all kinds of things. So I'm going to finish up my declaration about what is Qigong, but I want to be sure that we get back to it have four it has four components, body, breath, mind, and self applied massage. And you can add in sound there you can add in drinking tea, you can add in uh, 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 using like there's a there's a thing in Chinese medicine where you boil water, and then you put coins in the water. This is a grandma, a grandma's remedy thing. You put coins in the water to heat them up, and then you take the coins out of the water, and you place them on points on the body points that we call acupuncture points. But acupuncture wasn't developed until 2000 years ago. And the humans in China were using massage, probably 300,000 years ago. So acupuncture is really very, very recent. So that's the, the scope of what Qigong is. And certainly putting sound in there is very legal, and makes all kinds of sense. In fact, I would like to make some sound just for a moment for our because you know we're already getting almost giddy with how exciting we are how exciting it is to have this conversation and i want to give people an opportunity to calm down for just a moment the I'm, duration... too, I'm too excited i'm too excited roger you can't you can't <laughs> calm me down right now <laughs> here we go so it's going right, to be let's do it posture breath and mind. So adjust your posture, lengthen, adjust, adjust your breath, deepen, and adjust your mind by presencing, that is coming into the present moment. Mm -hmm. 
one deep breath and then back to you, Nathan, wherever you want to go. I love it how something so simple like that can shift your entire energy, your entire feeling, your mind, your body, everything. I have a quick story to tell. Um, I, the short story is my phone died a couple of weeks ago, wouldn't turn on. And so I, I had insurance, called insurance. They said, yeah, your phone will be there in a couple of days. A few days go by and I call them and, and they say, oh, actually, we forgot to tell you something else. We got to do this. And I said, okay, let's do that. And then I said, okay, it'll be there in a couple of days. A few more days go by, still not there. Call them again. <laughs> it's Friday. Uh, and I say, Hey, my phone's still not here. Where, where is it? Oh, we forgot to tell you, you got to do one more thing. And I'm like, I'm like, number one, you guys have a really bad training problem with your people. Can I, <laughs> can I let your management know that please? Cause you guys obviously don't know what the hell you're doing, <laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't upset at all actually. And, um, well first the, that Friday they said, okay, it'll be one business day. It'll, it'll finally get to you in one business day. Well, it was Friday and it was Labor Day weekend. So the next business day was Tuesday. So I got another Friday, Saturday, Sunday, another like four days without my phone, which ended up turning out to be amazing. I took advantage of it and I was, that's why I wasn't rushing at all. I'd wait an extra day or two and then call them, hey, where's the phone? Wasn't mad at all. I was really taking advantage. I had a 10 day forced digital detox from my phone. Wow. And it was fantastic. I loved every second of it. And people asked me, how are you? you know, you run multiple businesses, you're on nonprofits, you do podcasts, blah, 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 family, all this stuff. It's like, they got my email, you know, if they need to reach me, I'm like, I'm fine. I, you know, cause I got so many different apps and things where I got so many people communicating with me all the time from, from social media to team apps, you know, and Voxer and voice messages and WhatsApp and all these things. And like to have a 10 day break from that was amazing. <laughs> and I encourage it to everybody take a week or take 10 days off from your phone. And, and what I did was I started, I brought back new I brought back old habits that somehow I lost because mm -hmm. of social media. Like when I go to the bathroom in the morning and in the evening, I used to read and somehow over the last couple of years, I started taking my phone in the bathroom and scrolling on social media like an idiot, you know? Yep, yep, and yep. so during that 10 days, I started reading again. But when I would finish reading in the bathroom, I might go outside and read because the book's so interesting. I might go outside and read for another 15 minutes. So I continue that reading or I start taking my phone with me to the sauna. You know, I'll do two sessions of 15 or 20 minutes back to back in the sauna once or twice a week. And, you know, that's, time I would either be watching or listening to something. Well, now sauna without my phone. So I'm meditating. I'm deep thinking. Um, I'm sitting outside. I'm meditating. I'm deep thinking. I'm, you know, driving and deep thinking. So all this time without my phone, I got a lot more reading in, got my uh, more meditation time in, more deep thinking. I'll tell you what, having time every day for self-reflection and deep thinking is has been one of the most valuable things in my life over the last almost 20 years and to lose some of that to the addiction of the phone that i had um it you know that's just eating away at your human potential eating away at my human potential and so now i've got these new habits in place again good habits and i'm like 
my phone's over there at night. It's over there in the morning. Don't even look at it till I'm done with my Qigong practice, my reading, everything in the morning. And then I'm like, okay, it's time to, you know, open my phone to go to work, not open my phone to look at social media or whatever. So right that up. has been amazing. But talking about that shift, so simple shifts in our lives, habit shifts that can make, you know, a world of difference. That's, that's one for me recently that's been amazing. So we can say that having a gong and ringing it so that it rings for 90 seconds or so or a minute is a one way to do this. We could say that having a Qigong practice that lasts for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes is, is a way to do this. We can also say that when you're in the bathroom, you know, sometimes we call it the library. Uh, excuse me, I'm going to the library. Uh, <laughs> we like can that. not only uh, can we read there, but doing breath practice and postural uh, correction. And um, <laughs> I'll just admit this. I do this when I'm on the uh, toilet sometimes, not every time. And it's just simply And then maybe I hold my breath for a few moments doing that throughout the day. When I wake up in the morning, before I get out of bed, I do a round of breath practice. When I go to bed at night, I actually have some Qigong practices, some tapping and some, some stroking of the organs and stroking of the channels and rubbing my ears and so forth that I do. These things only take a few moments. Yeah. We have in our lives a lot of moments uh, when just simply changing the pace and depth of our breath doesn't even change what we're doing. We don't have to change our clothes. We don't have to go to a gym. We don't even have to leave the meeting that we're in. We can actually make some little subtle changes in the presence of other people. Um, but it takes, first of all, you got to have a revelation. You got to have an insight that's, that, that suggests that it's worth pursuing. And then you have to be able to remember that you had the insight because of the old habits. Uh, back to you, sir. Yeah, back on, I mean, to, to your point, you know, the, um, the first insight for me on meditation before I ever learned about Qigong was when I was 18, I'd moved to San Diego and, and I just had this inclination to start meditating. And so I'd, I'd sit on the bed and I couldn't get my legs to cross, you know, I had one leg way up here like this. I was so <laughs> tight. And I, and, and I thought I had to, you know, shut all my thoughts off and have my legs crossed like a perfect yogi and all that. But it was just, I was just starting to meditate and starting to, to learn about it and put a practice together. And over the years, when I look back, I really think meditation has been one of the most valuable things in my life. And you don't realize it at first. You don't even realize it for maybe years, for me anyway. I just, I started doing it because I, I felt like it could help me in becoming healthier, smarter, wiser, you know, help me in, uh, at the work I was doing, just help me be a better human being. And so... I tried it and started practicing it and tried different forms and listened to all kinds of audios and all kinds of stuff. At one point, I think it was 19 or 20, uh, 21. And I had to ride the train down to say South San Diego and back to North County. And that was a long ride. Um, every day it was like 40 minutes each way. And I had little iPod 
and I download a bunch of guided meditations. I sit there and meditate, you know, 40 hours down, 40 minutes down, 40 minutes back uh, with guided meditations. I'd go sit on the beach and, and find myself in a four or five hour meditation and then come out of it and have a journal and just write dozens of pages of downloads. When it, The more I practice it, the more I realize how valuable it had become in my life for healing these emotional traumas that I had as a child, for self-reflection, understanding who I am and what I'm here to do, for managing and controlling and directing my own thoughts and my own emotions, um, helped me become a better leader as I became a father and husband, helped me become a better father and husband as I have been an entrepreneur, helped me be a better leader and you know visionary and business owner. And it's just been a tool that's been a massive part of my life that's been incredibly valuable. And so if anyone has questions about meditation, number one, I always say, you know, just start doing it and experience the difference for yourself because you'll start to feel better. But then when I learned about Qigong, it was like taking meditation to a whole new level. It was like, oh, this is like meditation on steroids, you know, <laughs> like <you're> going, <laughs> it's like we're going into another level of, you know, visualization and sound and movement. And, you know, I, I love the aspect of, you know, visualizing and bringing in the energy and connecting with the chi field and connecting with other practice, realizing you can connect with other practitioners around the world and be in that chi field and send this, you know, radiant healing energy out to people all over the world. And it just takes, I think it gives a form and a purpose, a bigger purpose to, because it is a meditation, right? Qigong is meditation, but I think it, it gives a deeper purpose and meaning to that meditation. I don't know how else to explain Yeah, it. well, it's leveraging. Um, well, the first thing to say is that it's hard for people to sit quiet. And it's easier to stand and move and be quiet. Mm. So actually, while Qigong is meditation on steroids, it also becomes, uh, Qigong can come, become a portal into meditation that is uh, easier than sitting down and trying to not think. And then the next thing to say to, to, to leverage meditation and make it a little easier for people is do not try to not think. Instead, let the meditation support you in observing what you're thinking, not with the idea of like when I, when I, when I get to the point in meditation, I think, oh, I should call Bill, you know, and arrange like uh, something. So I just notice uh, I'm I, calling Bill, you know, I can do that. But right now I'm not going to call Bill. I'm not going to let calling Bill as an idea inter intervene in the fact that I'm just being present. And so then I move on to, oh, well, I didn't pay my mortgage yet. Okay, well, now you're noticing that you didn't pay your mortgage yet. If you want to, you can make a list. You could say, okay, stop meditation for a moment, call Bill, come back in, uh, pay the mortgage. Okay, so those are things that interrupt what we call meditation, but then they also become a, a fairly reasonable do list. And if it's not illegal to be having those thoughts, but it's actually very legal and a part of how we can I mean, eventually, no, of course, we'll never finish our entire do list. That never happens. Um, but it it becomes a way to surface 
uh, different levels of thinking. And you talked about deep thinking. So eventually over time, instead of being distracted by the things that we think we should be doing when we're trying to meditate, which is fine. You just be distracted, notice the thoughts, maybe write things down, maybe pay the mortgage. But eventually what happens is that we start to have, and this goes to the whole idea of being allowed to have a personal philosophy, which most people think is illegal for some reason. Eventually we realize that there's a layer of thinking deeper than, or if you want to say higher than, uh, the concerns and considerations of our every day. And, and, and then there's a layer that's even higher than that, which is kind of like pure light, pure bliss, whatever you want to call it. But those three levels are present for all people. And the people who get to the bliss level have worked through the whole idea of, okay, you know, yeah, now we're thinking about the practical. And then what about some deep thinking? Can I spontaneously get to deep thinking or or do i have to force myself to get to deep thinking it doesn't matter just go ahead and go to deep thinking stay relaxed deepen your breath stay with the process and eventually there's a potential for a breakthrough to sort of transcendental moments of openness uh, where the content becomes almost non-existent and the presencing becomes more existent but it has to be you have to find a way in and usually people find a way in because they're desperate or on the other hand because they have aspiration i'm gonna meditate because i want to have a higher level of function a higher level of creativity and a higher level of productivity or on the other side the pain side is I'm going to meditate because I want to reduce my pain, whether it's emotional or physical or due to some kind of diagnosis. And um, so that's why Qigong has four parts, because it also becomes absolutely fascinating. What is the body part? What is the breath part? What is the meditation part? And what is the massage part? And if you we want to add in the sound, you know, what are the sounds and how do we use sound and what organs do the sounds associate with? And and then the, the, the sixth part that you mentioned, which is entering into a field with the practitioners of all over the world and being present in the presence of thousands and sometimes even millions of people all around the world who are practicing Qigong right now becomes an it's almost like a medicine that I can take to increase the extent to which I can focus because I'm now with all these people around the world who are also focusing. Now there's a lot of, or let's say there's multiple stories of how far back Qigong goes, where it stems from, what it was originally founded, I don't want to say created necessarily, maybe discovered for, um, and I've heard multiple versions of it that, you know, Qigong goes back 5,000 years. I've heard that it goes, it goes back 100,000 years. Uh, I've heard that it is primarily stems from Taoism and Buddhism, which would be, you know, just 2,500 years ago, roughly. Um, I've heard that it 
was originally kind of founded or discovered and taught disseminated for immortality for longevity i've heard stories of there is a man many people may have heard of him from china i believe who was a i think a qigong practitioner and basically lived off the land just herbs and things like that who was believed to live like 230 years old or something like that and they have his birth certificate i don't know if you've seen that man um Yep. and his story and i know all these stories yeah and you know a lot of the history i've i've read some of this on your own blogs on your own websites and from many others you know lee holden and i've sat you know with ming tong master ming tong for for years and listening to him tell the history and stories and so a lot of it is really similar how it's shared but some of it's different and i don't think it really matters but it's it's interesting to me it's fascinating <laughs> to me you know, well, like allow me to just what, ramble what you, on. This. Yeah, what you think? What you think about it? What uh, I won't do is, um, shall we say, put the things that you just said onto a timeline, uh, because that would take a part of the time that requires t to tell the version of the story that I think is probably the most likely. Uh, instead, I will f I will focus on uh anthropology and archaeology because what we can't do is say anything about what humans were doing from evidence unless there is evidence and so the only evidence that we have in the archaeological record is the placement of stones um locations where fire uh was uh built piles of shell stones like for instance if you if you kill an animal uh you know let's say you, you kill a tiger and then you eat the meat of that tiger and then the bones of that tiger are thrown into a you know a compost pile let's say those bones will have uh uh composted and they're they're no longer available as evidence and so we have buildings, fires, and when people live near bodies of water, we have shells, uh, a, not a lobster shell, a shell shell. And so, and then we have all the anthropology on um, when people began farming and when people began hunter gathering and so let's now think when did people communicate with each other just that when did people communicate with each other well, well been, i mean that would have been from the beginning of humankind you know well the human gene is three million uh so it's unlikely that the earliest humans had the uh, the ability to formulate thoughts that are a whole lot different than higher animal thoughts at the very beginning. Which you think, been... you think so? I my my perspective on that is different, and and obviously this is all perspective we have no evidence but i almost feel like early humans were potentially 
brilliant and maybe weren't as dumb cavemen, hunter-gatherer type of people that they're depicted to be. And the reason I have that theory is because if you look at humankind as far as we can date back with archaeology and with anthropology and et cetera, et cetera, most of what humans have done, even going back tens of thousands of years that we can document back to 30,000 years plus with different civilizations where they found no weapons, but all farm equipment and things like that, meaning, hey, these people weren't even hunting, they weren't killing, they weren't, they were taking care of their tribe and their family and growing food in large farms. This is a civilization that was found. It's in Greg Braden's book, Deep Truths. Uh, I can't remember where it was. I think it was in Europe where they found this 30,000 year old civilization where they used to think, Oh yeah, people 30,000 years ago were basically dumb idiots. You know, they didn't know what they were doing. And these people had advanced tools and things. And um, the more we find out of these kinds of civilization, we, the more we find how intelligent people actually were tens of thousands of years ago. I mean, look at the Egyptians and the pyramids and all of that, you know, and, and how they were able to, to create these incredibly intelligent designs that are in perfect frequency frequency harmonies at the center of these pyramids i think we've gotten dumber as a civilization as time has actually gone on yes well that's, look at that's us now we're killing ourselves and destroying each other and destroying the planet and you know living the you know social media addict creating addiction and things that don't matter in people's lives and pornography and all i mean i could name a million things and addiction and drugs and where it's actually i think we have been for quite a while de-evolving versus you know evolving um and so i almost feel like and i don't know if this is true three million years ago those human beings were brilliant or intelligent or geniuses but i feel like if you go back quite a ways people seem to be actually very very intelligent maybe even more so in a simple way than many people are today yeah well the, everything you said is probably either true or close to true, including all the way back to the beginning of the human race. Because after all, if we fashion ourselves after monkeys, monkeys have all kinds of social behaviors that are um, communicated through different kinds of sounds and so forth. And so they did have language and we know about that. Um, we, we don't see monkeys massaging each other. Um, we do see monkeys massaging themselves. And we've we even see monkeys and gorillas who um, put themselves into interesting postures and so forth. And we know that uh, all animals uh, have a habit of shaking off stressful experiences rather than storing those experiences in their cells. And so no debate here on most of what you said. So let's go back to the question of when did Qigong happen and I guess that we could say, if we take the, the four parts of Qigong, body practice, breath practice, mind practice, and massage practice, there are pieces of that that maybe even go back 3 million years. Um, but let's, let's go to maybe where we have a something formulated. And I, I think that the, the, the discussion really doesn't need to go on much longer. Because if we'd say that it's either it comes with the beginning of, of language, meaningful language, which linguists have placed at somewhere around a million, and you know, fire is close to a million. 
And so let's just go to people sitting around a fire a million years ago. They're probably talking about or or acting out what they did during the day, doing storytelling. I mean, they didn't have TV, so they, they entertained each other with stories. And so the original kind of Qigong, which I think was probably breath practice for helping deliver babies and breath practice to calm down and movements to, to be able to calm down and power up. Uh, movements that we would use to build our power so that we can do move stones around and and designate where a farming area is and so forth. I mean, it's 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 really naive to think that farming happened ten thousand years ago. That's just that's all ridiculous. Right. Um, so the point is that all the stories that you told or reflected on, they're all true in the minds of the people who tell them. And they have the reasons that they have for telling them. Some some people tell those stories because somebody told them the story and said, you can't change this story. Uh, others tell the story differently as time passes because they're learning more. And the point I think we're trying to get at here is uh, the, the, the sometimes people say Qigong is 5,000 years. Well, that's the beginning of writing. But what did they write? Well, they wrote down what they knew for 300,000 years. So it's really hard to tell. But the point is that Qigong is so ancient that we don't know when it started. And it's been developed and evolved in many different directions by many different people. And there are many different stories that we can tell about it. But I think the most important story is that it is inherent to human being mm. that organizing ourselves into something around yoga or something around qigong or something around any of the celtic or or um druidic methodologies the siberian siberian shamanism south american shamanism north american shamanism all of those cultures developed a relationship between movement, breath, mind focus, which can be imagining, self-applied massage, singing and dancing, you know, so the, here comes the sound, um, gathering in a group and having shared purpose. There's in, 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 in Qigong, uh, group practice is called Qi Chang, Qi Chang, where we, we, where we create what is called a a group generated healing field, qi chong. It's a it's a part of how qigong works and so forth. And you, you know you can imagine that humans were in families at least uh, two million years ago or three million years ago, and that they formed themselves into uh, clans and expanding um, villages. Uh, long before 5,000 years ago. So in the teachings of Qigong, in the older teachings, is there a, is there an evolutionary belief? Do you know uh, that humans came from, you know, monkeys or whatever, or is there a belief that there was a 
more of a higher power being God kind of figure that designed all of this and all of us. Do you have context on that at all? Yeah, I do. Um, so in all the shamanic cultures, there is a, a belief in the fact that some part of the human being is um, eternal and some part of the human being is kind of personal and some part of the human being is um, just dust. And so the part of the question that we're talking about now doesn't have anything to do with the dust because the body goes down. And when the person exits the body, there are two features that are common to most uh, shamanic cultures, which is the personological feature and the transcendental feature. Then from there, it gets confusing because different cultures have a, an appreciation of karma or, or reincarnation or whatever you want to call that uh, and the whole idea of going to heaven and, and remaining in heaven as an ancestor. And one of the most, um, shall we say, pleasing or comforting versions of this is that a human being is made up of three treasures. The, uh, the body treasure, the mind tr or the personological treasure, and the transcendental eternal treasure. The spirit, so, if you will, or soul, or whatever call you want that. to call it. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll pass on the body because we know that that goes to dust. And then the this view that I tend to take refuge in myself is that there is a field of energy. There's an energetic field of personas which can linger in the atmosphere, the world, you know, in the quantum field, whatever it is, that is literally limited to chunks of memory. And there's an aspect of a being, which is, well, the, the Chinese use immortal. They, they, you know, the whole idea of immortals in the Chinese tradition is super rich and really fun and interesting. And so people, uh, certain people who live in certain ways, they are easily become immortals. Um, some people who are still alive because of the nature of how they live, uh, they tend to be, you know, kind of kind-hearted and and um, light-hearted and non-judgmental and just never disconcerted, but always sort of in concert with the nature of the world. And so <clears throat> this concept that you're driving into is, you know, is there a, uh, is there a sense of evolution? And the thing that I just described for the body, of course, there's, I guess, the potential of evolution, the skulls got larger and so forth. For the mind or the or the personological aspect of the body of memories and knowledge that was with a particular person, there's some 
we don't know. It's just all speculation. There's some speculation that that lingers in a field that's not the time-space field that we're in. But then beyond that, there's a transcendental aspect of that, which the Chinese called immortal. And the immortal aspect of the self is present in the, in the body and mind the whole time we're alive. And then it escapes. And does it separate from the personological aspect and just go free as a universal distribution? You know, we don't know. But what the those the 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 tradition in China is largely not associated with a god that uh, gives people assignments in their life and then either torments them or gives them good luck, uh, that is all left to something larger than we can understand. Uh, the Taoists are, are really good with this body of information, and they basically call it Tao. And Tao means everything that ever was or ever will be, everything... Um, that is an expression of how nature operates naturally and everything that keeps a human being in a, in a state of quiescence, even in the presence of complexity. Mm -hmm. And and even in the Tao, the, the famous Tao Te Ching, if anybody's ever read it, um, by Lao Tzu is uh, the um, the phrase where he says, the moment you can name the Tao or point to the Tao or give it a label or description, it is no longer the Tao. <laughs> so it's like the whole teaching is like trying to help understand the Tao, the everything, the, the, you know, nothingness and everything all at the same time, God, this universe, you know, all, everything and nothing all at the same time. And the moment that we try to describe it and explain it, say, oh yeah, that's what it is. It's like, eh, you've kind of missed the mark a little bit. Um, and then it goes on, not right at, at that particular place in the Tao Te Ching, but it goes on to say that once you describe something, it takes on qualities. Mm -hmm. And once those qualities gets described, then we start to see the, the differentiation and the duality kicking in because you have right and wrong and up and down and, you know, beautiful and ugly and and all those things and then it even goes on and you can see already with some of those things like um you know beauty and ugliness so we'll just take that one for right now as part of the dual the dualistic framework is uh, now you're categorizing people you have to make judgments and so forth uh so then it goes on in another place in the Tao Te Ching to talk about how once you have named it, and then you create contrasts, and then you ascribe goodness to something and badness to something, then you need laws. And as soon as you need laws, you need people to enforce the laws. And now you've got a circumstance where you've got people who are enforcing the laws, and the people who are breaking the laws. And all of that is a basically the depreciation and and interruptiveness uh disruptiveness of 
doing the first thing wrong, which is actually ascribing a name or a value. Well, that's ba yeah, basically you described religion and governments, right? Religion is organized rules and guidelines and, and laws, if you will. This is the way it is. This is what you must do. This is what you have to do to be good, to be seen good in God's eyes. You have to follow these rules, these laws. And if you don't, you get punished, you go to hell, etc. We know the whole story. And that is, I mean, even what the what I've studied about, you know, Jesus's life, for example, and written in the Bible is who knows? I mean, these the you know, the, the texts that were put into the Bible were not even written until like 40 years later. Can you imagine being told something and then 40 years later writing it down? And it was not even organized <laughs> until 80 plus years later. And it and many texts were left out for political and control reasons and governmental reasons. They wanted one unified. This is all pretty well documented, right? About Constant, Constant, Constantine yep. in Constantinople who said, hey, we're going to basically create one world religion and get rid of all these smaller kind of religions that... Uh, they didn't like because it kind of went against their ability to control people. At least that's my perspective of what I've studied about it. And I so, it. I hear it. <laughs> so to read, so there's a lot of gold in the Bible and in those religious traditions. And at the same time, there's also a lot of control and fear and human, in my opinion, very clear human control concepts put into the Bible to basically keep people in fear and control. And now you've created all these laws and rules and regulations. And I think there's beauty in some religion. And I also think there's, there's a lot of um, pain and, and suffering in it because exactly what Lao Tzu described is, Hey, you have named it. You've created rules. You've created laws. You've created all this stuff. And the more you do that, it's like the further you get away from what you're trying to do, which is connect with God, right? That's what every Christian, every religious person wants to do is be good in the eyes of God, connect with God, connect with that higher power, that higher source. And yep. I feel like so many people are missing out on their potential because of all of these rules and regulations, oh, you can't, you know, um, I, I see it all the time. So I don't know. It's, it's fascinating to me. Uh, it's to incredibly fascinating. And but what's beautiful about it is that we start with, I don't feel that good. And I don't trust these people who are trying to sell me drugs. So I'm going to see if I can make medicine in my own being. Mm -hmm. And so then you do that. And then you realize, wow, I can make medicine within my own being. And nobody said that. And so what else don't I know? And then we go on to this whole idea of developing a healthy lifestyle. And pretty soon now from Qigong, we're into a healthy lifestyle. And we get to ask the question, well, what is it that bothers me? And how much am I bothered? And how can I manage the extent to which I'm bothered? And so now I'm investigating methodologies for, shall we say, putting things in their proper order. And then I can realize, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm actually climbing a ladder here towards higher levels of, of personal responsibility, personal sovereignty. And then I, then I get to the point where I ask the question, am I allowed to formulate 
a personal philosophy. Well, every philosopher that's ever existed has only just presented a, an opinion. And so we now know that whether it's a, a, a philosophy of gov governance or a philosophy of, of spirituality, that these are all opinions. The president doesn't have the truth and the pope doesn't have the truth and the you know the maharishi doesn't have the truth they're all mm. telling stories so now what i get to do is say if there's this many stories why can't i have a story and so then i build a story for myself and as the disruptors come in because you'd be a heretic that's why you can't have your own story because you'll be <laughs> you'll be considered a heretic in the eyes of of religious organizations so you know, people don't want to think for themselves and, and ask these deep questions and question the pastors and the leaders and the Pope and so forth because of the fear of shame, the fear of being shunned, the fear of loss of community, the fear of, of being, you know, um, an unequal. And that's that's what happens, right? So many people don't ask these questions and try to go deep into these different philosophies and, and even like what I've done is research many different traditions and philosophies and spiritual traditions from Christianity to Mormonism to um, uh, chanting with the Hare Krishnas to Native American tribes to Buddhism, Taoism. And, and I love to find the beauty and the continuity and the wisdom in all of it. And I find some things and parts of it's like, eh, I don't totally resonate with that very much. You know, well, what you're I've, doing right now is you're basically describing what we're all working on so okay you could be shamed by that person or that person whether it's religion or government you can be shamed by them but once you've found that refuge of self-assurance shall we call it that yep. and then start seeking for others to build out yourself your sense of self-assurance by being with people not who share every idea that you have but who share the idea that you have a right to have the idea that you're having. Mm, I love that. Totally contrary to what our governments and social media are doing right now, which is censoring our ability to access information that we want to access. And but that's exactly the reason we need to have that freedom of thought and freedom of choice and freedom of expression for exactly that, yeah. exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So there's a classic value in the Chinese that's basically a value across all traditional, uh, all of the original uh, indigenous type cultures, is that there's three treasures. The three treasures are the body, the mind, and the spirit. And so when we formulate as a family or as a small tribe, uh, clan, or even a small community, once we have generated a set of shared values, then we tend to live by those values. So the positive of that is that the three treasures are the classic idea of, and, and I think that this is so beautiful. I hope that um, everybody in the world will stumble on it and digest it and use it. And that is that the first value is the model. Um, in Buddhism, it's called the three jewels, and the model is the Buddha. The second value is the set of shared values 
uh, call that the knowledge base. In Buddhism, it's called the Dharma. In 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 uh, in Taoism, basically, it's just called the the Taoist text, the texts, and so forth. And then the third part is the community of people. And so when we go to Qigong and we talk about having a practice and then practicing with others, whether those others are with us in the same room or whether they're with us on the internet or whether we just know that they're with us because they're somewhere in the world practicing to, as we are practicing now, that's called, you know, call that tribe, call that the Sangha. So the, 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 the solution, the cure for shame, the cure for shame is autonomous sovereignty and then assembling one's personal sangha or community of shared values. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's basically what we're doing at Healing Life, right? And what you just That's exactly what you're doing at Healing Life. Yeah, and that's what you just described the three, what'd you call them? The three, three, the three, well, in all cultures, three. they're basically widely uh, determined as the treasures, the treasures, the three Chinese treasures, but such a simple the jewels, the jewels, the three jewels. I mean, it's such a simple model and, and, and uh, yeah, I guess simple model to understand, which is the teacher, the teaching and the community, right? The leader the the information the values and the people who are part of that together and that together i mean that can create an entire religion as we've seen all the religions it can create a philosophical group it can create an army you know out to destroy it can create loving wise people that want to change their own lives and impact the world in a positive way um but it is it's so simple and yet so profound. So basically, as I look at it, correct me if I'm wrong, but Qigong, Tai Chi, a lot of these Eastern philosophies, um, aside from, let's say, Buddhism, for example, which has turned into somewhat of a religion, Qigong by itself and the communities and the philosophy of Qigong and the people who are a part of Qigong communities, it's not really an organized religion in any way, is it? What's no, your perspective uh, on that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the question because there's an illusion, a myth, a legend that you must adhere to the teachings of a particular teacher to be able to derive the benefits. And I, I, I just don't believe this. And like you, uh, I've, I'm in mystical Christianity, very interested in that. Christianity as a child, you know, went through that, uh, married someone who was a Catholic at some point, you know, that was very interesting. Super interested in the Rosicrucians and the Masons and the you know the all the the Silk Road everything along the simple Silk Road, the Templars and all of that stuff the shamanic traditions and all of those. I've had two beautiful Native American teachers, Black Raven and um, and uh, Rolling Thunder. I've had dozens and dozens of Chinese teachers. I was I was. Uh, I was personally introduced to um, transcendental meditation 
by the Maharishi in 1963. I've studied with uh, Yogi uh, Bhajan and Swami Satchitananda, and I'm a big fan of Yogi of uh, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, etc. Just like on and on and on and on. And so there's this idea, which I believe is a false idea, that if you don't adhere to the, shall we say, the the minutia of a particular way of being, that you're going to be shamed and cast out. And I believe that each person is sovereign in their right to be able to develop by searching and having conversations and tuning in here and there and so forth to develop a personal philosophy with a personal practice, which has a personal life rhythm, which is non-judgmental of other people who have developed their own personal way. So in answer to your that. question, the, the concept of people adhering to somebody's teaching for very much longer than a maybe a couple of months. I mean, you want to get in, get the gold and get out. Because if you get out, if you go in and then you get stuck, you will be shamed when you get out. And mm, um, I actually, when I was in Chinese medicine school, I had a very interesting character who I won't go into the details, but a, a very lineage oriented individual she, a powerful woman, asked me, told me that I should become a, a disciple of her version of Taoism. And I said, you know, I just got here from Ohio. Uh, I'm not inclined to become a disciple of anyone. In fact, the story that I know is that if you were a disciple of a certain person, you had to like disappear or act like you didn't know anything. And I'm, I'm not interested in that. Plus, I've had lots of teachers and I'm really interested in my own philosophy, et cetera. She got mad at me. And 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 but we had a, a, a very nice relationship, re, rehabilitated it over time. And I was I set myself up so that I could remain free, a free agent to be able to discover the <laughs> wide, wide world of possibilities. A free agent and, of spirituality. I love it. <laughs> I'm yeah, a free agent. I, I, I see you in the same way. And I think yeah. that I think that the life community is a community of mutually shared values, but not a community wherein you get judged if you're not as hip as everybody else or taking the same supplements as everybody else or right. doing the same meditation of everybody else or following the same teacher of everybody else. But what we are all doing is becoming more comfortable in our own individuality, which is promised in the Declaration of Independence as the thing that like democratizing of government is supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And our own freedom to pursue happiness and what that looks like for each of us. I love the Buddha's or one of the teachings of the Buddha where he said, do whatever you want in this life. Do anything you want. Go out and do anything you want. As long as it doesn't hurt yourself, it doesn't hurt anybody else. And if you think about it like that, it's like, you know what? What a wise thing to say. Like what a wise thing to say. Right? Wow. You're, you're developing your own personal philosophy of life. 
what do I want for my life? Well, I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to enjoy life. I want to feel good. Everybody wants that. Everyone wants health and happiness and joy and laughter and good experiences. And, and, and then, so the question is, how do you do that? Well, you can feel senses of happiness or fleeting happiness or fake happiness by doing things that maybe harm others or harm yourself, right? So that little piece of wisdom, don't harm yourself, don't harm others. There are a million things you can do that lead to hap true happiness and joy and lasting fulfillment that don't harm yourself and don't harm others. And, nice. and we can nice. learn that from different philosophies and traditions and spiritual practices and religions for sure. And some of them have things that, that maybe harm yourself or harm others. Um, and so those ones, it's like, eh, nope, I'm not going to do that. You know, <laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, about, I wanted to just mention about healing life. The, the vision came to me a few years ago because I started learning, you know, like you, I mean, you have way more experience than me in this, but, but like you, I've been very interested in different spiritual traditions have loved experiencing you know sweat lodges with with native american elders and sundance experiences and you know and and chanting i mean going in san diego and going you know being invited invited to a hindu temple and chanting and i'm like what is this They're like yeah you want to come I'm, sure why not because i didn't have an attachment to a spe specific religion or set of beliefs, I was able to go and sit in a temple that I knew nothing about with people. I never, how they were dressed and everything was totally different than me, chanting a language that I didn't understand and yet had profound spiritual experiences, feelings of bliss, as you were talking about, these feelings of bliss. And where does that come from? That doesn't come from the devil, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's not the devil making me feel bliss, but that's what some religious traditions would have you believe oh you're in a temple praying to another god uh doing these evil things and you know the devil's leading you from temptation to 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 temptation and you're off track from god it's like no actually if you learn what they're saying they're saying <laughs> praise god praise god praise god praise god it's not about me <laughs> the chanting Hare krishna Hare Hare krishna 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 Hare, it, it all means Praise God, praise God, praise God, right? Just because that particular God in your mind doesn't look like your particular God doesn't mean they're not praying to the same God, whatever that God is. Right, but, right, but, right. But to have these experiences, Native American experiences, Hindu experiences, chanting with the Hare Krishnas, Buddhist experiences, and have feelings of bliss, you know, true, true bliss, deep meditation experiences, true, true bliss, feeling the energy of God, however we may want to call God, and knowing that that is the experience I'm having, nobody can take that away from you. And nobody can come with a book and a set of rules and say, that experience wasn't real. You don't, you can't have that experience unless you're you know, baptized and believe in our religion. That's, that's, you got to watch out. That's demons and devils leading you astray. I'm like, dude, are you serious? Like I am literally experiencing love and bliss right now by praying to God, like being in this experience and how can you not recognize that, you know? And so that's what I like. That's what I think the vision came to with healing life was like, Hey, there's so many of these ancient teachings, heal, healing practices and healing modalities that most of the world, certainly most of the Western world, but I'd say most people around the world 
don't know exist and don't have access to. And so with, you know, teachers like yourself being a part of this healing life community, we can literally help people who want it, not a religion, not a organized thing, nothing. It's just learn yeah. from teachers like yourself and others from different traditions. So people can get a taste of, Hey, what is this experience you're talking about? This experience of bliss and health and happiness and experience it for themselves from all different kinds of traditions and experiences and choose what you like and who you like to learn from and, uh, and, and get to experience differently. Like you said, instead of just being with one teacher forever, which is fine if someone wants that. But for me, I'm the same way. That's why I fell in love with CrossFit. It's like, I like running. I, I, I've learned to start enjoying swimming a little bit now that I don't drown when I swim. <laughs> I like cycling, but I learned that, hey, I like doing all kinds of sports and activities. I've learned to love weightlifting. I learned to love, you know, um, lifting with barbells and, and, and rope climbing and gymnastics and walking on my hands and all these different things. It's like, oh, we can do all of these things and create a holistic experience with our bodies, well, why can't we do the same thing with our minds and our emotions and our, and our spiritual experience? Yeah, amen. So that's so well stated, and I just don't even want to try to say anything else about <laughs> that, because I think that um, if you didn't say it, then I would say it, and I would have said it pretty much like you said it. So um, I have one more question for you, and I know we're have we're kind of out of time. Um, maybe we save it for next time, or maybe we touch on it a little bit because it's a really big question, but sure. the question I have for you is what do you believe happens when we die? Yeah, well, I have some experience with questioning this. Um, most children don't ask this question because they are either being traumatized by other things or their parents <clears throat> stay alive. Um, my dad died when I was uh, uh, nine years old. And, um, and so since I was nine years old, I have had the question, you know, that that question, everything from where do we come from, to why are we here, to what happens when we are not here, and so forth. And we've talked a little bit about <clears throat> some of these things. But um, even though I love Jesus a lot, and even though I am a real fan of 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 the uh, all of the religions that are associated with Muhammad, and um, including the uh, Sufis, and everything that I've learned from being in relationships with um, the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Taoists, and watching as people enter this life and leave this life, including my own children, and noticing that there's two, there's two parts to all of this, that um, just my personal view, my personal philosophy, one part is that there's something about how we get in here and how we are here and how we get out that has to do with forces that uh, are impossible to describe. We can go all the way as deep as we get into quantum physics, can't use that. 
we can go all the way into any kind of religious or spiritual philosophy can't really use that um, because of the multitude of different views which are all true to the people who believe that those views are true but are not really my view well the question and, i guess that's what i think you're referencing there is like the question that i've had is okay there's a god that created us all but who created god or what created god so the answer well, that most people receive is well god god was always there but see that's never like that's a, to me that's a cop-out answer it's like nah you just don't want to question that deeply because you're afraid of where it might take you um but that's just well, my perception i don't know yeah so if if it's okay let me just stay on this one track of two two ideas one is that some array of factors and forces got me here and and that same array is in play as i go from these space-time dimensions the other one is that um there's a biological foundation to who we are there's uh an X chromosome and a Y chromosome. There's there's the the familial um, factors, call that genetics. There's the behaviors and all of that. And then that takes us out. And so these two parts of who I am, I believe, are in play. And so when you ask what is my view on how this all works, I like to, having been in all these relationships, defer to my favorite phrase from the Chinese kind of Qigong Taoist point of view, which is, here's the quote. I, I, I don't know that I've ever read this anywhere. I think I kind of cobbled it together from my experiences. And it goes like this. There is an aspect of myself which is irrevocably well cannot get sick and does not die. And so I'm into that. I'm, I'm into the fact that there's a part of myself that no matter how sick I ever get and no matter whatever kills me, that there's a part of myself that never got sick, was always well, and cannot die. And so in that context, how I believe personally is that my personal behaviors have something to do with how I, how I'm here, and my, and something about what I can't do, are about how I got here and how I will depart, and that holding those. The 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 one that I can do something about, I am doing what I can, and the part that I can't do something about. I'm doing what I can to arrange for the fact that I get the best of it, however that might work. So in both cases, I'm fine-tuning, cultivating, studying, learning to pay attention to myself because I learn a lot from the experience that I have and then change my course correcting and so forth. And, and so with that in mind, I'll go to your second question which is, do I believe there's a God? And it, it's you already said it earlier. If you name it, that's not it. So the thing that you and I are now 
asking a question about, as soon as it has an answer, that's not it. So we can't even have this question. You can't even ask me this question. I don't even respond to this question. I don't have a place in the world that I live in or in the philosophical framework that I've developed for myself where that question can have an answer. But you could say that the part of me that says there's something uncontrollable about where I came from, who I am, and who I will become, and where I'm headed, that part, that part of the two, not my behavioral self, not my habits, not my dreams, not my loves and dislikes, but that other thing that's a part of who I am is in some way associated with this thing or non-thing that we cannot describe. But the part that I can control is a part of that too. So it's just a it's a conversation that is really fun to have, and we can really do lots of speculating on it. But I have no sense that you should reach the same conclusion that I have about the answer to that question. Mm. I think that's such a great mindset, perspective, level of wisdom and humility to have when it comes to topics like this. I certainly have not had that uh, all the time over the years and <laughs> certainly something I'm trying to <laughs> practice more and more. It's like it comes and goes, <laughs> I can promise you. Yeah, this is what I believe. Why don't you believe what I believe? You know, it's like, no, this is what I believe. And it's totally fine. Whatever you believe is whatever you believe. That's okay. I'll still be your friend. Like, you know, it's okay. <laughs> no problem. Um, I think that's, <laughs> that's the wisdom and humility we need in our world today. I love that question. And I, I mean, I could ask you 20 more based on it and have a great conversation around it. Maybe we'll save that for, for next time, but yeah. Um, Let's do this again sometime. We can just I'd love start to. there. <laughs> I love, yeah, let's just open with that question. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> Roger, what's the best? I know you're on YouTube. I know people can find you on, on, on social media everywhere. But uh, and I, I know you got multiple websites. But if people want to just dive deeper into you and the great work you do, what would be you know, one good website for them to, um, for them to go to? Yeah, I'll give the website that's associated with the Institute of Integral Qigong and Tai Chi, of which I am the uh, founder and uh, lead faculty, although we have a, a broadening faculty. And those people are training people to be teachers, and those teachers that they train are in relationships with thousands and thousands of people. And that it's very awesome. easy <clears throat> to write this down. It's I I Q T C dot O R G. I I Q T C dot O R G. Cool. That's awesome. We'll put it in the description below for people too. Um yeah, Roger, thanks so much. It's been a great conversation. Uh always appreciate our time together. Indeed. I wish you well. I'm thrilled to be collaborating with you too <laughs> i did a lecture once called can qigong save the world mm. so i'm really thrilled to be in this relationship with you as we do everything that we can to save the world by inspiring individuals to disassociate from assumptions 
guidelines and turn their attention to personal experience and learning how to communicate with others without becoming reactive. Well, we'll find out soon enough if it can save the world. We're going to try anyway. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Thank you so much, right. sir. Thanks. I wish you well. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. It's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And, you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort. It cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression, is we have not evolved. There is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful for what you have achieved.